Disaster Recovery, Copyright Sereny Murthy, 2018. March 6, 2016. Well, this is another fine mess in which I find myself. I am at school. I have my journal with me because it's brand new and doesn't contain anything incriminating. This is ironic considering this may be the very last entry I pen. We have an active shooter situation at school. It is not a drill. We were in science class when we heard a scream from upstairs followed by the sound of scuffling feet and then an eerie silence. Miss Hemingway immediately had us form a line and proceed to the nearest exit. She stood just outside the doorway counting heads as they filed past. I was almost at the door when, well, it pretty much felt like the ceiling had caved in. I ducked and covered my head. When the dust settled, I looked up to find a huge mountain of rubble blocking what used to be the door. The only other people left in the classroom were the twins, Alex and Tiana Miller. We stared at each other in dazed alarm. Alex and Tiana both had their cell phones, so Tiana called 911. The operator said the safest thing we can do right now is to stay put until emergency personnel arrive. I don't know what's going to happen. Tiana is crying and Alex is comforting her. I would help him, but the whole thing makes me think of my family. And I don't want to lose it in front of Alex, like he really needs to console two weeping willows instead of one. I'm actually more mad at my old man than anything else. Taking away my cell phone was a rotten thing to do. It's as essential as oxygen these days. He might have foreseen a situation like this. He's supposed to be the adult after all. I don't care about dying, but it's not fair that I don't get to say goodbye to... people. Let him be in a situation where he's at the end of the line and can't call mom to say he loves her. See how he likes it. This sucks. I eventually stopped feeling sorry for myself and consoled Tiana so that Alex could catch a break. She noticed that I wasn't calling anyone. Leave it to a girl to notice. Alex was completely oblivious. Isn't there anyone you want to call? Tiana asked me. Like your family? I shrugged. I left my cell phone at home, I said. Looking at her and Alex reminded me of Allison. Yes, we spent most of our time insulting each other, but so what? It's how we roll. If I only had a few hours left to live and could only make one phone call, Allie would be the person I'd call to say goodbye and wish well. And now I couldn't. And it was all the old man's fault. Here, use mine. Tiana held out her cell phone. Thanks. I took it, tapped on contacts, and then realized these were all Tia's contacts and not mine. So I tapped keypad, and as my index finger hovered over the digits, I realized something. I didn't know Allison's number. She had resided in my contacts list ever since I was old enough to own a cell phone. Every time I upgraded, the data just got imported. I hadn't had to remember her number in years. The only phone number I actually knew was mine. Not Mom's, nor Dad's, nor Stevie's, nor Allie's. And none of us ever called the house line. Is everything okay? Tiana asked, concerned. I'd been sitting with my index finger poised over the screen for a couple of minutes now. Yeah, fine. I pulled myself together and dialed my own number, just to show that I was doing something. It rang, so I knew it wasn't turned off. I pictured it making Dad's desk vibrate. It went to voicemail. I ended the call. No one answered, huh? Tiana attempted to encourage me. They're probably waiting outside, all stressed out. Maybe they didn't hear the ring because of all the sirens. Try again in a few minutes, Alex advised. 
Yeah, I said. My mouth was surprisingly dry. I racked my brain trying to think of a number that would connect me to my family. Mom worked for the State Department, but somehow I knew 1-800-STADEPT wasn't going to cut it. The only number that came bubbling up was the one Mom had me memorize when I was six. It was our landline from when we had lived at the farmhouse back in Virginia. We had had that number for most of my life. It was engraved on my mind. I dialed it without any real hope. When we moved to D.C., Mom and Dad had rented out the horse farm to our neighbors, the Prendergasts, but they only came to tend to the horses before returning to their own farm 12 miles away. Still, it was worth a shot. As the phone rang, I found myself reflecting on Dad's quirk of leaving the phone connected in an uninhabited house. He's what you might call a paranoid man. If someone had a medical emergency, he'd want them to always have a way to call 911. I felt both glad and resentful of his foresight. Pity it couldn't have extended to me and my current situation. I was so lost in my reverie that when a gruff voice answered, Hello? I momentarily forgot where I was and why I'd called. Hi, I said, collecting my scattered wits. Um, this is Jason McCord, son of the landlord. Is, is that Mr. Prendergast? It is. He was instantly on his guard and his tone was curt and clipped. Mr. Prendergast and I have a somewhat checkered history, not unlike that of Mr. McGregor and Peter Rabbit. Hi, Mr. Prendergast, I said a little nervously. Tiana and Alex were staring at me, wondering who on earth I was calling. Mr. Prendergast remained silent. He clearly was not going to give me any encouragement. Um, look, I'm sorry to bother you, but this is an emergency. Do you have my dad's contact information? I need his phone number. It's kind of urgent. I heard some papers shuffle. Mr. Prendergast coughed. I crossed my fingers. It's probably around here somewhere, but don't you have it yourself? He asked suspiciously. Not on me, I said. Well, surely it would be easier for you to get it. You're in the same city. He sounded impatient, convinced that this was some elaborate prank. I shut my eyes, realizing that I'd have to relate at least some of the whole sordid tale to make my request sound plausible. I'm not exactly mobile right now, I explained. Have you been in an accident? He immediately sounded concerned. You should call 911. They'll know how to contact your parents. No, I cut him off. I took a deep breath. The only way out was to tell the story quickly. There's an active shooter situation at my school, I said, and at the words active shooter, Tiana gave a visible shudder. Alex gave her shoulder a comforting squeeze. I don't have my cell phone with me, so I can't reach anyone. A friend loaned me her phone. The farmhouse was the only number I could remember. Please, Mr. Prendergast, I just want to call my dad and let him know I'm all right. For now... I ran out of words and breath at the same time. I could hear Mr. Prendergast debating whether to believe my fantastic tale. Young man, is this a joke? He demanded at last. No, sir, I assured him. I heard him rifle through some more papers, apparently to no avail, because he suddenly yelled, Nellie! Nellie is Mr. Prendergast's wife. Nellie! He yelled again, and I heard the shuffling of feet. I pictured her coming, a good-natured, comfortable sort of woman, perpetually decked in a gingham apron. She had a large face with a wide smile. She was the complete opposite of Mr. Prendergast. I liked her very much. 
It's the McCord boy, I heard Mr. Prendergast say. Oh! Mrs. P. emitted a gleeful sound and made as if to snatch the receiver, but Mr. Prendergast convinced her that this was no mere social call. He's in trouble, surprise, and is looking for his father's number. Do we have it? It's urgent. I'll explain later. Mrs. P.'s best quality is that she doesn't waste time asking unnecessary questions. It's with the rental contract, she said, and went off to get it. She had it for me in record time. Do you have something to write with? Mr. Prendergast asked me. Um, Tiana handed me a pencil and Alex shoved his science notebook at me. Yes, Mr. Prendergast, I said. I wrote down Dad's number and repeated it to make sure I had it right. After promising to call them back to let them know I was all right, Mrs. P. vowed they'd stay all night at the farmhouse. I hung up and let out a sigh of relief. Tiana and Alex were as invested as I was now. They were crossing their fingers and looking on anxiously as I dialed. I didn't even know if it was Dad's cell phone or our house line. When the answering machine said, You've reached the McCord residence, I knew it was the landline and my heart sank. It wasn't likely I'd get to talk to anybody. I knew they'd all be lined up behind the yellow police cordon outside, waiting for word that I was okay. Still, it was better than nothing. I left a message for the family and hung up. I tried not to get too emotional, but I still worried that this might be the last time they heard my voice, and I didn't want to leave anything unsaid. I handed the phone back to Tiana. She pushed it back at me. Call the Prendergast, she urged. I have call waiting. You'll know if your family calls back. I don't want to bug them, I demurred. Someone to talk to, Alex supported his sister. Someone from home, Tiana suggested. That did it. I wanted Allison. Don't get me wrong, I didn't want her to be here with us or anything. I was glad she was well out of it. I just wanted to hear her voice again. It was she, even more than Mom, who had sung me to sleep when I was a kid, who had comforted me when I was sick at school or injured on the playground. I suddenly found myself homesick for her. I was embarrassed by this feeling, but I can't deny that it was there. I called the Prendergast. Tiana was right. It was better than sitting around worrying, missing our families, and waiting for rescue or death. Alex called his folks, and the four of them talked with each other while I talked with the Prendergasts. Mrs. P. had googled active shooter, and Monroe High had come up. I knew it'd have to be her because she is the only half of the couple who was internet savvy, Mr. Prendergast being the very embodiment of the phrase, can't teach an old dog new tricks. Our conversation didn't amount to much, but it was soothing. I asked about the horses, their health, and the Prendergast's well-being. Mrs. P. held up most of the conversation, Mr. Prendergast being a dour, taciturn man with everybody in general and me in particular, but I could tell he was there and I could feel his concern. Mrs. P. asked about school, current situation aside, life in D.C., our new house, old by now, and Allison, Stevie, mom and dad. She asked how mom liked working for the State Department and how dad liked teaching at Georgetown. She asked whether we went to church regularly and whether we had a home-cooked meal at least once a week. She made everything seem comfortable, safe and normal, the way she rambled on and on. I felt so much better when I was talking to her. I eventually grew worried about Tiana's overage minutes and I knew it was getting on dinner time for the Prendergast. Heaven alone knew where they'd get it from. Our cupboards were bare. I'll let you go now, Mrs. P., I said, not really wanting to let her go, 
mentally clinging to the idea of her. Call me the minute you get home, she ordered, comfortable in her assurance that I would get home. I will, I promised. Here, Mr. Prendergast wants to say goodbye, she said. She was so old school, referring to her husband by his surname. It was as if she'd stepped out of pride and prejudice. Goodbye, son, Mr. Prendergast said formally. Take care of yourself. Come out on top. You bet, I said. And then, I don't know just what made me say it. Perhaps I was feeling homesick for more than just Allison. Hey, Mr. Prendergast? Yes, son? Our house has good bones, doesn't it? There was a pause. Yeah, he finally said. It sure does. Probably a reflection of the people who made it a home. Yeah, I agreed. Good night, Mr. Prendergast. Good night, Jason. We hung up and I leaned against the wall, feeling more content and relaxed than I had in hours. After all, if I couldn't talk with my own family, this was the next best thing. Meet the McCords will return January 9th, 2019.